Good evening. It's great to be with you again tonight and uh, share with you on another Mission Emphasis Week Sunday. You know, I was just as, as that song was being sung, I couldn't help but think about this morning at Centerpoint Church where I had the privilege to baptize two infants. And during the baptism, or rather after the baptism, had a conversation with a man who's been coming to our church just recently, and at probably a month or so, and he was brought by a member of our worship team uh, who himself has just uh, had a, a spiritual transformation and not the last uh, too long. And this young man came up to me, and I learned a little bit about him. He has been in and out of homelessness for the last while, trying to get his roots down. And he came up to me, and he said to me, Fred, I have never been baptized. I, I believe in Jesus, but I've, he's obviously been in and out of church and doesn't know a whole lot. And he said, I, I've wondered about what it would be like to be baptized. And I said, boy, that's a conversation I'd love to have with you. And so we're, by God's grace, going to have that conversation. It just reminds me that you don't have to look very far for people who need the Lord and who need the next steps of the Lord's involvement in their life. And uh, what, a, what a privilege we have to not only share the news of the gospel, but to see people become disciples of Christ. And speaking of that, there's a few texts that I want to look at with you tonight. Uh, the, two, the one that is your theme text for this Mission Emphasis Week, and that's simply that uh, text in Matthew 28, verse 19, where it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the wording actually that you have for your mission emphasis week is make disciples of nations near and far. And I think that's very appropriate, near and far. And we happen to be dealing, yourselves and myself, with the nation near. And at Centerpoint Church, we've been working for some time now at developing relationships and contacts in the South Plainfield area and absolutely love the, the ministry and the opportunities, though it's very challenging work. Uh, probably even more so than when I began at this, in the north side of Plainfield some 20 years ago, the culture has changed. And there's a hardening against the gospel. And there's also a greater distance of people from knowledge of things of faith. The generation today knows even less than what they did 20 years ago. They don't know what church really is anymore. They don't know the basics of the gospel message. They don't even know really at the bottom line what Christmas and Easter are even about. So the work is harder, the challenge is greater, and the calling is even for us deeper. And uh, just a, a couple of pictures to show you this evening, about a little bit about Centerpoint Church. And the first one is of a baptism that I was privileged to perform a couple of years ago on an entire family. And uh, it's the Bergen family. I baptized uh, the parents and then I sprinkled the children as they came to express their faith in Christ. This morning, by the way, one of the two babies that I baptized was another son from that family. We get to see the generations as they come and are being discipled in faith. The next picture is simply of a group of kids that we've reached out into in our community. It's a summer day camp that we did last summer, and uh, just gathering some kids from the community who don't have a, a relationship with Jesus and just sharing with them the faith and uh, hopefully through them connecting their kids as well. Well, we've decided this past year, this, this last year was a little difficult in that we just did not have the right kind of space that we needed to reach young families. And we struggled with that for a while. We decided that God was calling us to move, but then finding the right place took some time. 
And thankfully, around uh, late, uh, late October, November, the Lord provided a spot, and it wasn't what I had in mind. I, I had for years uh, been part of a church that had done setup and takedown in a local school, and we decided for the sake of the mission, it was time to do the same. So we moved into Timber Ridge Middle School. The next picture is of uh, our truck and trailer. There we are, 24-foot trailer that contains all of our earthly church possessions. And every Sunday, we arrive at 7.30 in the morning at Timber Ridge Middle School. We do a basic setup uh, into the cafeteria there, and it is a much, much better space. God has really blessed our time there in the short two months that we've, uh, we've arrived. Uh, the Lord is allowing us to make some good contacts in our neighborhood. We had a, a lady walk over just this morning from the neighborhood. It was the second or third person we've had do that. We've also done an event that where we had 30 people from the neighborhood at, and so we're beginning to make those connections in the South Plainfield area in that new location by being obedient to, to taking this step. Making disciples, it's a long journey, but we're on that, that road, and so we're grateful for it. I also brought some pictures this evening of a, of a mission work that is going on in a whole other part of the world. It's nation far. I've been part of a committee called the Christ for Myanmar Committee. That's Burma, which is right next to Thailand, close to India. And that work has been going on now for some years. And I've had the privilege to go there twice and to teach in the seminary there. And I want to tell you just a little bit about that work as well to get the, the broader global perspective. And the first picture is of, um, actually that's, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about those. Those are a couple pictures of our new worship location at uh, Timber Ridge Middle School. Here we are, uh, this is in Yangon, Myanmar, and this is a reform seminary that has been there for some years now. I had the privilege to go and teach there a couple times, and especially on the topic of church planting. They caught the energy and the bug for planting churches. And out of this uh, seminary graduation, there are a number of graduates who will go into the church planting work. And at the far end of Myanmar, on the western side in the Rakhine State, there is a, a very good but very difficult church planting work that has gone on out of the graduates of the seminary program here. I've had a chance to meet some of them. The next picture shows you eight church planters that are now, just in the last two to three years, starting churches in the western end of the Myanmar region. And uh, they are going through some incredibly difficult work because they're being resisted every step along the way. These uh, group of eight church planters are scattered around that western state. They're starting churches under adverse conditions, and they're seeing people come to faith despite the, um, the persecution that some of them are going through. In the next picture, you'll see... Uh, an example of just one of the church pastors, the planters, with some of the members of his church. They traveled three hours by boat to meet some friends of mine who were up there to meet them and encourage them. The next picture is of a, a man that I have met and had the privilege to speak with. He's on the right-hand side of the picture. His name is Reverend Yohang Tang. When he came to the, to the Rakhine State, he was immediately persecuted in the village that he and his family tried to embed themselves in. The Buddhist monk, and the Buddhists are, they say, pacifist, but when the Buddhist monk was threatened by the gospel message that he was preaching, he, he slashed Yohang Tang's face, he kicked him out of the village, and he and his family had to simply subside on, on the edge of a riverbank for several weeks. 
waiting and hoping that they could be welcomed back into the village. They finally were, and now there are dozens and dozens of people in that village who have come to faith in Christ. And then there's a couple more pictures there. We can just scan through those. This is of another church plant that has gotten started. You'll see there's 39 members of that church, only a part of that church that came to visit with the friends of mine. And so I just wanted you to see this, that there is some incredible discipling work, that there is a a response to the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And we see that near and we see that far, and we praise God for every bit of it. Why do we do it? Well, we certainly don't do it because it's easy. We don't do it because it's entertaining. We don't do it because it's just fun. We don't even do it because it's our primary gift. We do it because it is a spirit-charged command with no wiggle room of escape for anyone, listen, anyone who calls himself a Christ follower. On the scale of teach the covenant to your children comes the command, go and make disciples of nations near and far. On the scale of raise your children to love and to serve the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the call to be faithful to the task and the commission to see one more person come to the faith in Jesus Christ. On his return, Jesus, if he asks us, did you make an effort to educate your child in the faith? Would not want to hear from any one of us, I did not. And on his return, if Jesus asked any one of us, did you make an effort to go and make a disciple of someone around you, he would not want to hear us say, I did not. Yes, it's that important. It's important enough that I'm grateful to be here on your mission, one of your two mission emphasis Sundays that spurs on your 365-day-a-year calling that is given to you by the Spirit of God himself. I'd like you to look with me with that in mind, with fresh eyes, at a text that you've probably seen many times before. And that's the one in Acts 1, verse 6 to 8. If we could turn to that together, and let's take a look at what it has to say. This is as Jesus is gathering the disciples together. He's about to transfer from earth to heaven. The ascension is about to happen. And it's not the great abandonment, we know that. It is the ascension to glory and reign, and it's the place from which God will, for which Jesus will intercede for us, and from which he will empower us to the great calling of this mission work that God has given to us. And there's an interesting exchange that happens between Jesus and the disciples in that moment. And let's take a look at it together. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that there's a sinister distraction that's at play here. And it's with simply the disciples who out of their own trepidation, anxiety, over the possibility of yet again losing their Lord and their Savior, their close friend, the one who they've been following for three years, dig into a position that they had previously been in and that Jesus had already dealt with in the book of John. And it's that, it's that desire for the, 
for the kingdom to be established locally, for a sense of protection and reassurance regarding the Roman military and the government and a security that they wanted to have. And they asked Jesus, as they had asked him before he died and rose, are you going to establish the kingdom here on this earth? Is this the time you're going to do it? But it's a complete distraction from what Jesus had already just said when he had told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to be poured out on them. And it's not at all what Jesus intends for them to be thinking about. In their anxiety, in their trepidation, in their sense that Jesus is yet yet again about to leave them, they try to hold on and they focus on the things that will give them security right here and right now. But it's a distraction. And Jesus, as he is so known to do, comes alongside of them with great care and compassion, but refuses to let them miss out on the great calling that they have. And so in verse 8, he goes from the distraction straight into the mission. And he says, first he says, that you're not to know the times or the dates that the Father has set, but you will receive power. He comes right back to where he, he left off in the verse before. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And what he's saying to them is this, listen, all of the security and all of the reassurances that you're looking for in in the survival mode that you want to slip into is not going to do you a, a bit of good for the mission that I have called you to. The Holy Spirit is going to come when I leave. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you this dunamis, this dynamite, this power that is going to be far greater than anything that you have yet seen. And you are going to use that not for survival mode, but for mission mode. Because that is the calling to which I have given you. And so the thing we need to recognize from this, and in light of what we read in Matthew 28, we see it here again in that the repeating of the mission, is that life is not about survival, it is about the mission. Life is not about establishing ourselves in the suburban world that we currently live in, with the greatest amount of security that we possibly can, financially, physically, emotionally, and otherwise. That the life that you and I have been given on this earth, like the life the disciples have been given in the area of Jerusalem where they were currently residing, was not to be a life about establishing themselves with the greatest amount of contentment and peace and even the pursuit of happiness in the way that we have so become so familiar with in the world around us today. We settle for the things that Jesus considers a distraction. And Jesus regularly has to call us lovingly but firmly and sometimes bluntly out of our own capacity that is so limited to the things that make us feel secure. In order to give to us the breadth of the purpose with which we have been created. And as much as we have been created with the calling, the challenge, and the welcome to invite and draw and teach and instruct our kids in the ways of faith, we have been given the same breadth of call to reach one more person in one more neighborhood, in one more cubicle next to us, who does not know yet the name of Jesus Christ. And if we 
get through Mission Emphasis Week, and we miss that. We miss the entire focus of what Jesus' last words to the disciples and through the disciples to us was really intended to be. I grew up in a a very traditional uh, Christian home in Winnipeg, Canada. Hardly ever heard the message of the gospel in terms of going and reaching your neighbor for Christ. In all the years that I attended the church, and I love the church dearly, still do today, virtually very few people ever came through the doors of that church from the neighborhood. And it was never really incumbent on us, never really taught to us that we should be looking to invite. I remember a conversation I once had with a man who, with whom I had incredible respect, and it was a very theological conversation about predestination and election. And in that conversation, he said to me, Fred, why would we be so concerned about evangelizing if we really have a deep and abiding understanding in God's predestining and electing work? And we had a a conversation that ping-ponged back and forth that I don't think got fully resolved, but in my mind, it was so clear that the electing hand of God is a is a work that we cannot fully understand. We completely accept. How can we not? It's scriptural. God elects and chooses those whom he will for salvation. The thing that we do understand with great clarity, though, is that the work that God does of drawing people to himself, he does through you and he does through me. Amen? He does that work through us. How he works it out is up to him. It's not my calling to draw that man who came up to me this morning to Christ. It's only my calling to be the instrument through which God uses to make that connection and do the draw. And if I fail in that task, God can use anyone else, but his call is to use me. And I dare not stand at the end of my life before my Lord and say that given the opportunity, I blew it. Because I was distracted by things that made me feel more comfortable and secure. And so this evening, the message that God's word has for us is simply this, is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, go, and I will bring the Holy Spirit to bear. Wasn't that a beautiful song we sang about the Holy Spirit? I will bring the Holy Spirit to bear in your life so that you will be, with dunamis, with great power, given the ability to be the witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. And here we are, nation near and nation far. Some people here I know have traveled the world and done some mission work in other countries. My own daughter spent five years in Nigeria doing some great work over there. Had the privilege to be in Myanmar and in Honduras and some other countries doing great mission work and loved every bit of it. But here and now, this is the place where God has called me and my family. And this is where God has called you and every one of us. And it is our calling incumbent on us. It goes back to the book of John. I referenced that earlier. John 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Last year when I was here, 
I made this point, and I'll just repeat this part of it, that tucked inside of every primary responsibility that you and I have, there lies another responsibility. In God's world, there is a mission inserted into your welding, your engineering, your teaching, your truck driving, your parenting, your assembly line work, your floral design work, your parenting skills. That mission is the source of the great purpose of your life. Inside of every job, you have another job. I have another job. Inside of everything you do, there is another calling that you have been given. And that calling is to go and make disciples of the people that God has put into your life. The great danger for us is that we would settle into a typical suburban life. That we would become just accepting of the things of of our world that make us comfortable. But that is not what Jesus came for or what he called us to. God's intent is for us to have a specific spirit-led and spirit-empowered mission to reach one more person for Christ. And so this evening, the message is simply this. That while you and I live, we have a great privilege and a great calling to not be so distracted by the things that the world would draw us toward, but to retain enough energy, commitment, and passion for the things that give God the most glory. And to begin to identify with great clarity, with real, real specificity, who that one or two or more people are that God would put in our path this coming week to see reach for the name of Christ. It was with a lot of joy that I did those two trips to Myanmar and I saw to some of that church planning discussion and work, there is some great things that are happening by God's grace. And I can't wait to go back again and to hear the reports and to spend more time with them. But in the meantime, the calling that God has given is for us right here where we are. And in center point, that means the South Plainfield area. And over the course of the next month and a half, I would really appreciate your prayers because we are on the verge of some really important work, I believe, in impacting some lives for Christ. My prayer for you as you go through this faith promise, through this mission emphasis uh, week here, that you look to the Lord in your heart. And that every single person here and as a church together, you say, what is the next step of us being faithful to the great calling God has given to us, the mission far and also the mission near? And know that as we started this evening, that what God gives to us out of this text is a spirit-charged command that is on the scale of raising your children to know and serve the Lord. A great call and a great command with a great commission to go and make a disciple, one more disciple, and then one more disciple after that for the name of Christ. And the great privilege that you and I will have is that when we come at the end of our days, is that not only will we stand then in heaven with all of our family and friends and embrace them in that great reunion that we so look forward to, but you'll look over here and you'll see another person that God used you as the instrument of to see come to faith in Christ. And you'll look this way and you'll see another. And then you'll talk to that person. You'll see that that person who God used you as the instrument of, God used as an instrument to reach another person, to reach another person and another person. 
And as I look around this room tonight, I just imagine that maybe one of you is here because God used another person as an instrument in your life. Praise God for the great work of the Great Commission. Praise God for the calling he's put on your life and on mine.